Welcome to the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. Hi, this is Al Adamson with the People Analytics and Future of Work conference series and community. And I am extraordinarily excited with my longtime friend and colleague, Daphne Aronson, the founder and CEO of Bsports Minded. Daphne, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, Al. Hey, thanks for being with me today because you and I have had a long connection around sports and how that has related to this field of people analytics and how we can learn a lot, but how it's also different. And as we know, sports teams and you've worked with the New York Mets, among others, in assessing talent. So without going too deep into your experience, I know you have things to share about your perspective in talent selection, as well as this notion of people analytics and how data can be used. So if you would just introduce yourself a bit and talk a little bit about what you do. Sure. So as you mentioned, I founded uh, Be Sports Minded after going back to school to earn a master's in sports psychology. So I came from the people analytics background with a degree in engineering and management and started off at Deutsche Bank in their first workforce analytics team. So we basically started people analytics for the bank and turned HR into a profit center for the first time in the bank's history and and really developed this whole online employee lifecycle and looked at all of those specific areas and how to create efficiencies and streamlining. And so it was on the cutting edge at the time in terms of technology and the way of thinking about things. And it really broadened my perspective on how do we use analytics and what does that even mean when we're talking about data, how they can tell a story. So that was awesome. Being an athlete has just always been who I am. I was a D1 athlete and I played multiple sports in high school. So when I started phase two of my life, I was thinking, all right, what am I passionate about? What's really going to make all that sacrifice and discipline like really, really worth it? And it came down to, well, what do I want to do? I want to have impact. What is my why? Finding out who I am and tapping into that. And that's where sports psych came in because I wanted to understand like my own levers, like what were my own reasons for doing things that motivated me? How did I really get myself to take it to the next level and learn some of those traits and understand, you know, how did I build character through this medium of sports? And as you mentioned, working with the New York Mets really opened my eyes to these athletes are athletes, but they're not just athletes, right? They're people. And how do we understand how to nurture that human side? And then thinking about it, they're very progressive and they were looking at how do we use analytics? Typically, we think of sabermetrics. My whole purpose was to say, hey, let's take the back of the card, but also look at the front of the card. That's how it started, like now building that bridge back into another way of thinking about people analytics for sports. Yeah, again, we're, we're talking not only the same language, but we have the same energy. And by the way, Outstanding focus with the dog barking. <laughs> it shows of that course the mailman came right as <laughs> again. One of the things that you're highlighting is this notion that we make assumptions about people, and you know, the sabermetrics thing. And the listeners aren't familiar with it. It's featured in famously in Moneyball, where historically organizations were looking at batting average and how someone looked at, to ascertain whether or not they were a effective baseball player and they contributed to this notion of winning, but it ended up being on base percentage as metric. But fast forward, 
You're talking about how someone shows up in the world, their character, their habits. You know, this notion of analytics, many people take a data-centric approach, a technology-centric approach. You're taking a very human-centered approach. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. That's exactly right. So it's looking at the personality and behavior traits. And so the ones that I really tap into are the five factor, the big five personality traits. The acronym is OCEAN. So we're talking about openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And in the world of corporate, there's been research there's evidence that backs how a couple of these traits really impact and can predict the idea of someone being a good leader or being successful in the workplace. And also looking at some other traits like problem-solving skills, cognitive traits, looking at behaviors. So I'd say that's the foundation of when I start thinking about personality, it's that five-factor model. Character, as we all know, can be very ambiguous there's a lot of overlap in what character traits and where they resonate from. So that ends up being a little bit more of a conversation and creating some consistency and just definitions of then how do we merge those two sets together? Sure. That five-factor model, it relates to how you have advocated people be assessed externally as well as internally. So ultimately, you're consciously creating a culture. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. So really you're talking about person to culture fit, right? And so knowing who you have on the inside and how that resonates with what the strategies are for those roles, for those teams. So in a corporate world, you've got different teams, you've got different skills, soft and hard skills for those teams. And it takes certain types of personalities to have greater ranges on. So you're really looking at creating a match between whether it's managers and the people that they're leading or just teamwork in general. So yeah, it starts in the beginning and helping to identify, are people really going to be successful here and why? And then going internally to say, well, how do we now train and nurture these personality markers and these character traits to really continue to be more adaptive and more resilient and to be innovative and enhance growth? Yeah. As you're talking, you're obviously talking about behaviors, which historically have been hard to measure, particularly when you're looking at external talent. You, know, you can have a structured behavioral interview. You can have a candidate assessment. You know, how do you advocate organizations or leaders, recruiters, better understand the people that they're assessing as potential fits in their organization? It's such an important question because there are a lot of assessments. And there is a lot of bias and we do operate on our own heuristics. So I believe in a combination of quantitative and qualitative metrics. The platform that I've developed for sports teams for scouting and player development has machine learning built in to de-bias that personality selection. So the model is doing that assessment and it does it by using IBM Watson and using natural language, but it's all based on going out and bringing in information about that person that that person has put out there. So it's not asking for anybody else's input, but that's not a 100% accuracy and then saying, okay, now we've quantified something qualitatively. And yet I think we would all agree that it's still important to have some qualitative measures in there. So in this platform, yes, there's a way in which you create the interviews, as you mentioned, and there's a way in which to understand how to assess for things quantitatively. So I hesitate to say there's anything out there that's ever going to be predictive, 
I mean, you're basically creating signals and looking at signal strength, but we're looking really at enhancing the predictive probability of success and understanding if, why, and how. And if we really sort of understand maybe some areas that need to enhance growth, because we know we love them for these skills, but we need to enhance these areas. Now we can start to include that in in player development. And similarly in corporate, you know, you're looking at creating really person-centric and culture-centric training and development, which is going to really end up hitting what this person really cares about and allow them to do their best work at work. I love that you're talking in real language insofar as you know, this notion of analytics. Many have this appetite for certainty, but at the end of the day, we're really talking about probability, elevating degrees of confidence. And Prasad Zeti wrote down, I don't know, in the middle 2000s, like all people-related decisions at Google to be based on data. And that saying was then amended years later that all people-related decisions are be made by people based on data. So that's what I hear you saying is that people are still going to make the decisions, but the the level of information that we can bring to them are going to be more accurate, more insightful, which leads into the next question that I have. So when you talk about the ocean model, it's not about criticizing an individual for being one way or another. It's just better understanding who he or she is, as well as the opportunity for them to better understand themselves. Is that how you look at it? 100%. My personal philosophy, if I'm working with someone in the sports psych sense, is never really to go in there saying, let's find your weaknesses. Let's find what's wrong. You know, I'm a firm believer that in the world of positive psychology, like we all have great strengths and we need to leverage those strengths very intelligently. Hmm. Now, listen, there are certain skills that are just necessary to even be considered. So great. Let's include those and let's understand those. Those probably can be quantified. But when we're talking about teamwork, when we're talking about resiliency, when we're talking about being able to overcome adversity and being a good teammate, we really can understand in the context of what these personality traits tell us, do we think this person has the ability to really develop and grow in this culture? And if I can just elaborate one more on context, right? Because that's, again, where we really should pay attention to the qualitative information. And just because I might score high on being open. Why, right? Why did I score high? How did I get that way? And is the environment I'm going to be stepping into potentially going to be receptive to that same context? Or is this a completely new environment that really is not going to trigger that openness? So context is pretty important. So what I'm hearing you say is we as organizational leaders have to understand our culture to accurately find somebody to fit that culture. And what I see, many frankly don't, or they're guessing, or they're hoping their culture is a certain way, and they're hoping the people that come in, you know, will fit that culture. So there is actually work that can and should be done to ascertain both. So, you know, what is our culture? What are people saying? What are going to be good fits? Not only in a meta sense, if you will, like an organizational wide sense, but also in a team or group sense. Is that how you're looking at it, that it's an and as well? Absolutely. It is an and. And that is part of the and in the platform is that we have a culture map that is research-based and it allows the candidates to, the candidates would take it as well. So now you're getting their personal culture, but the organization takes a culture assessment as well. And things are dynamic and it's important to respect that. So as an organization evolves, whether it's through mergers, whether it's splits, whether it's just through growth and innovation, 
people also do the same. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to allow the culture to grow with that and to change also. I also think it's important to not make everything so exact. The culture fit, it's why it's important to look at the person because maybe the culture is not an ideal puzzle piece, but we recognize that this person has the capability of doing something really great in this culture, even though it says that there might be some friction. So again, this is the beauty of where our field is going and where it can go to really create more than just the outputs, right? We're really getting into the process of how do we create great output? Yeah. As I'm listening to you, it's dawning on me that if I'm listening and I'm in HR, I'm a leader of people in operations or sales, or, or if I'm a recruiter, everything that you're saying is like, yes, yes, yes. You know, it's like, it makes perfect sense. Yet many organizations aren't doing this, at least in a concerted, systematic, ongoing way. Why do you think that is? You know, what do you think some of the barriers are to organizations just getting it, particularly when, you know, talent are in a very powerful position or people who are what I would call high value talent, they got options. So if they don't have the confidence that my prospective employer aren't asking the right questions, that right. They're, they're not going to be instilling confidence and in likelihood that that person doesn't come on board. I mean, maybe I'm starting to answer the question, but you know, what are your thoughts? Why aren't more organizations doing this work? You know, I think it's very nebulous in conceptualizing it. And I think because it's not hard and fact and tangible, and I think it sort of deters people from understanding which piece that they can start to pull in and how to really break it down and maybe take steps into the implementation as opposed to thinking like we just have to whitewash everything and start from a clean slate. So I think the approach is really the first hurdle. How do we just take a bite out of this? How do we sample this? Mm -hmm. And there are very real ways to do that and still feel important impact as opposed to just saying, if we can't do it all, it's not worth it. That's my observation. And the second is, is because the first stage of where we look at a candidate, whether it's in corporate, where we're talking about sports, it's through people. And so this idea of change management and how we empower those people to do their jobs better is first by allowing them to overcome just the idea of like, they're not at risk, right? So a lot of times when we talk about whether it's entering machine learning or using the combination of quantitative, qualitative, people get scared about what it means for them. It's also letting people know that the story is like, you're all just going to be able to do your jobs better and you'll be happier as a result. You'll feel better about the job you're doing and it'll make things go a lot quicker, faster, and be more efficient. I do think there are a lot of companies that are, are starting to step into it. Slowly. As they do, I'm curious, as we move towards this future of work, and of course, there's always going to be a future of work, yet there's a consensus growing that 100% of jobs are going to change. They're changing all the time, you know? So, you know, given AI, globalization, gig economy, all, all these you know, mm -hmm. disruptive factors. So we, correct me if I'm wrong from your perspective, need talent who are agile, who are willing to learn, who are going to be positive contributor to the culture. So not only affecting their own productivity and their contribution, but also facilitating the contribution of others. So the risk of not doing work as you're describing is much higher. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And so we're, I think we're seeing that because people are so interested in how do we measure attrition and how do we handle things like that and looking to create these 
external solutions for reasons addressing what you're just talking about, as opposed to saying, if we just value the people and try to nurture who they are and make them the best version of themselves, then they're going to take everything that's even outside of work impacting what's going on inside, which is often a lot, right? I mean, I think that's the other piece of the equation is people don't just come to work and then turn things on or off from outside of work. So if we're allowing them to be the best version of themselves, the reasons why we wanted them to come in are really going to come out. Best version of themselves. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're talking about well-being. You know, how does someone take care of him or herself? How does the organization help facilitate that self-care? So can you speak to that a bit? A lot of that is, you know, motivation. What's motivating people to show up at work, to apply for the job? What's their passion? What's their love? What's their why? My thoughts are we need to start creating some learning, training, development around that to help support that and to help support, again, allowing their well-being to exist, not just only in the workplace, but outside as well, and handle a lot of the stress the best way that they can so that they can come in and execute and maximize their potential and Mm -hmm. do all these wonderful things we're hoping that they do, as well as maybe find some new things that we didn't even anticipate, right? So if you open them up to growing in certain areas, wow, like, here's something that we didn't expect the contribution to be. So it's all about finding that motivation, finding you know, what areas they feel competent in, let's make them, let's make them feel like they have competencies, what areas that they feel that they're autonomous in, that they have decision-making power in, let's explore that. And relatedness, what has meaning, what's purposeful to them, and how do we achieve that in the team construct and inside an organization? One of the things that people listen for is this notion of people analytics and, and the future of work. And I think we touched on the fact that this is going to be something that's normal, you know, an expectation that, hey, I want to be confident that the organization that I potentially join is curious about me as a human being, or if I already joined them, they're curious about me and my personal development and well-being. So there are, you know, costs of not doing it, there's significant upside, which we're talking about. Then there's this whole notion of data and analytics. And many think about people analytics as, you know, a dashboard with a bunch of colors, and that's part of it. But it's really consciously designing employee experiences, candidate experiences, understanding the underlying data, and beginning with the end in mind is where I'm going. And I know you have advocated for that approach as well. It's like, hey, what kind of culture do you think you have? Do you want to have? You know, how are you measuring that? How are you assessing talent? So can you speak to how all this translates back to maybe an analytic strategy? Is this top of mind? Should it come after the fact or should it start up front? This notion of what data should I be grabbing and analyzing? Yeah. So I think it starts at the beginning. I think this is a really awesome way to understand how are we framing the bus and then who are we deciding to bring on that bus? And so the idea is if we can understand, you know, again, through the quantitative and qualitative design of let's get this new type of data in and then have it translate across the business strategy, which will trickle down and into some of these other areas of growth and development. You know, you hit on it before, there's a value lost, not only in turnover, but just in the innovation and growth on the bottom line by not really leveraging a lot of this information that we're not capturing right now because we're not looking at it. Again, I go back to like, you know, you've got a trading card and we're always looking at the back of it. 
but we're missing like a whole slew of data here. Where do we get that? We get that in the beginning. We get that upfront when we're looking at the candidate pools and bringing them in. And so it really starts to create this whole other world of data analytics and really the insights that we can draw to really impact executing strategies effectively. And so as you share this, it becomes obvious that we need a multidisciplinary, multifunction approach because you're talking about obviously IT, you're talking about data analysts, if there's a, such a COE in organizations, recruiting, legal would probably, data privacy would play a role. So there's all these entities, many organizations, and I'd be interested in your perspective on this, don't have the operating model, the governance structure to really think about the whole candidate experience, employee experience, culture, and the underlying technologies and data and analytics that take place. Is that something that you're advocating that there be new multidisciplinary functions or committees, if you will, governance structures created to handle this, to tackle this challenge and take advantage of the opportunities within it? I think there's probably a lot that can already be leveraged and used perhaps a little bit differently, giving them a new way of thinking about their roles. And I think Again, it's also starting off small and not necessarily requiring everyone to take, you know, the full leap, really starting to understand, okay, well, what resources do we have in place and where can we really start to make some differences? And I think part of the way we're seeing that already, some organizations are trying to do this is just through social impact, right? And creating their culture through some of these other ways of giving back or having some sort of meaning attached to their culture. And I do believe that that is just an entry point into, we want to attract and connect with employees that also have this within them. And so now what we're saying is, all right, that's great. That's a tangible way to do that. So now let's bring it in-house. Let's have social impact internally as well. And I do think if it is, you know, you have to look at a a few different variables. It depends, right? Right. (laughs) On whether or not a company should invest and should build If they are looking, if data analytics is big in people's worlds right now, and they are really trying to enhance the buy-in from business partners, then yeah, you should bring this in. You should include this because it's a huge value added without doing too much more than going out and getting this new data. And given the priorities of organizations, obviously talent acquisition is big, but it's also diversity and inclusion. And when when you're talking, it's not only yeah, gender and protected classes and so forth is about diversity of thought. Is that right? Such a good point. Such a good point. So, you know, I don't know how other people might handle it, but the platform that's developed that we talked about earlier is specifically, it has taken into account the diversity and inclusion because it's gender neutral. There's no race brought in. So if you were to filter a hundred candidates through, and then you realize, you know, what their gender is, you filter them again and flip the genders, the same should come out. So mm-hmm. it really promotes exactly this really important and very relevant part of data analytics quite naturally. And again, it refines itself. Once okay. you start doing it, it refines how we can say, okay, we're doing this well. We should look at this a little bit differently. And so it becomes more precise and more accurate. And it brings data to a process that is lacking data. And there's better, more confidence-inspiring ways to understand that we're not just implementing 
bias, either consciously or unconsciously, that mitigates risk and hopefully produces the outcomes that this organization might want, whether that be, you know, more inclusion, better culture, you know, whatever the outcome, you know, might be. So as we start to wrap up, I mean, I'm so glad we're having this conversation finally, by the way, you know, how can people learn about you? I know you're based in Chicago. You've been at this for, you know, a number of years with sports organizations as well as corporations. So how can people learn more about Daphna? Sure. So my website is daphnaaronson.com. My sports like stuff is at bsportsminded.com. I can be reached at Daphna Aronson at bsportsminded.com. Yeah, just uh, you'll find me through Pafau as well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, Daphna has been a great contributor to the People Alex and Future of Work Conference. Our next one is going to be September 5th and 6th in Philadelphia. And then we'll be back here in San Francisco early part of next year. And I will look forward to seeing you in both places. And yeah, thanks for sharing like you do and being your awesome self. I mean, this is something we've been talking for a number of years now, and it's kind of been a nice to have. And yeah, I see it. And I know you do too, as a non-negotiable moving forward. The risks of not doing this is just it's too high. So thanks for advocating and doing what you do. No, thank you, Al. Much appreciated all your contributions to the field. All right. Thank you much. Thanks for joining the People Analytics and Future of Work podcast with Al Adamson. To find other podcasts, videos, upcoming events, and to join the Global People Analytics Network, please visit us at globalpeopleanalytics.net.